Hello and welcome to Beyond Damascus, the show where encounter meets mission. I'm your host for today, Aaron Richards, joined by my co-host and brother in Christ here in studio, Dan Demite. Well, hey, Dan. hello, Aaron. We are recording, of course, today, friends, from the illustrious Damascus Media Studio here at Damascus, where we are working every day to awaken, empower, and equip a generation to live the adventure of the Catholic faith. Beyond Damascus is a co-production of St. Gabriel Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, and we couldn't be more excited for today's show. We've got some hot-button topics that I'm excited to address because I feel like I don't know. These are the these are the kind of things that in normal conversation maybe we would be tempted to avoid. Uh, the reality, friends, is we are in a very um, we're in a very interesting place in our world today. With uh, you know, we're still uh, we're recording this show kind of on the tail end of the first major surge, but the news would be telling us we're ramping up for another major surge in the coronavirus pandemic here in the United States of America, and. Um, wrestling in the midst also of what has been a pretty uh, a pretty wild time in the social uh, social equality movements, particularly with the Black Lives Matter movement. And the question that we want to ask today is: How do we as Catholics effectively respond to the issues in the world? So, Dan, I'm wondering if you can kick us off with prayer, and then we'll jump right in. Absolutely. Let's begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Good and gracious God, we are so excited to be in your presence today, a day to love you, to worship you, to rejoice in your goodness. Lord, I pray that you would send your Spirit upon all of our listeners so that their minds would be enlightened with your wisdom, with your knowledge, with your truth, Lord. We pray that we would worship you the way, the truth, and the life. And that you would show us the way, Lord. You would enlighten us with your truth and that you would fill us with life and give us the grace to imitate your lifestyle in our lifestyles. I pray that our families would look like your family, Lord, that we would be uh, a community of life and love. Thank you, Jesus. God, we give everything to you. We pray that you would bless us in humility. Um, God, give us the grace to be able to exercise dominion in this world in the way that you've called us, but to do so... Uh, never with our own end and agenda as our motivating factor. But God, let us relate to this world in the way that you did, humble to the end and carrying just an incredible heavenly authority. God, we ask that you will lead us and guide us, inspire our words and conversations. And Jesus, maybe today open some minds who have been struggling with how to respond to the issues that will be discussed. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Friends, this show is called Beyond Damascus. Why? Because like St. Paul, who on his way to Damascus, he experienced an awakening moment of faith where he encountered the person of Jesus and his life was forever changed. So too, we need to be moved into mission through our authentic encounter with Jesus. That our, our moments of encounter with Jesus will be something that transforms our life. And I think that message is even more important in today's topic as we discuss than ever before. Why? Because as we discuss issues that seem to take place in the social arena or in the, uh, in the governmental arena, 
I think that our temptation oftentimes is to forget who we are as Christians, right? To forget that we actually carry the authority of the name of Jesus, that we actually carry the primary call on our lives, which is to bring heaven to earth, right? We go back to that, to that, to that foundational message so many times that when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he says, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy mm-hmm. will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our job, friends, is to accomplish God's will, which is to bring heaven to earth. Okay? Is that a misinterpretation of scripture? No. Look at the end of the story, Revelation. We, we, we see that the, the, the conclusion, the wedding feast of the Lamb, happens when earth herself is resurrected, when we see the new Jerusalem be the city of of heaven the new jerusalem isn't um it isn't uh, a reboot it's a resurrection and our job is to live a resurrected life mm. um our job is to is to reach into heaven and to grab hold of those miraculous anchors those miraculous opportunities that the lord gives us to bring heaven to earth in powerful ways i mean this is the foundation of the sacramental theology of our church right that we struggle on our own friends but that God gives us access to these anchor points that are rooted in heaven so that we can pull on them and bring heaven to earth with, with, with certainty and that, and that those experiences can transform our lives. Amen? Amen. Yeah, I just what, what, if, what if the kingdom of this world looked more like the kingdom of heaven? It'd be, it'd be, a, it'd be a fun place to live. <laughs> yeah, that, that is the dream of uh, Jesus Christ. It's the dream of the, the church, and uh, it should be our heart's desire. Yeah. And, and I think we can have faith that it's possible, Amen. right? That it's not that we lack the resources and we just have to put up with all of this, like this junk that's happening in our world because yep. we just, we have no access to the Father's heart. We have no access to the kingdom's resources. Like we are children of God and, and Jesus Christ is the King of Kings and he's got abundant resources for us as his children to use for the sake of his kingdom. Yep. I'd like to say, Aaron, like what kind of a king, if he was a good king, if his sons or daughters went to him and said, hey, I'd like to use the kingdom's resources to bless people in the kingdom. A good king would never say, no, I want all of my resources for myself. I don't want them to go to the people in the kingdom. Like, And as yeah. sons and daughters, we go to the king and we say, hey, you have abundance in your kingdom, Father, and I would love to utilize the resources in the kingdom of God to unleash them upon the people here in this kingdom. Yeah. And uh that is exactly what prayer is. It's what ministry is. Amen. It's what Christianity is. And isn't that, in fact, the message of Jesus, right? In Matthew's gospel, Jesus himself says, what kind of a father would give his son a snake if he asks for a fish or a rock if he asks for a loaf of bread? And we have a father who who loves when his children call upon him. Why? Because he's a good father. He's not a bad father, right? And we go to our father and we trust in faith that he has a solution in mind for every challenge that we face, right? I think oftentimes our temptation is when we deal with social and political issues as Christians, it's, it's, to, it's to put the resources that we have access to every other day of the year on hold so that we can have a conversation in a different venue, right? So we can have a conversation in a different perspective. But no, friends, we believe that we have access to all the riches of heaven, Right? We believe that, that, like Jesus said, that we are commissioned to go out and to uh, cast out demons and to raise the dead and to, uh, to lay our hands on the sick and they will be healed, right? 
um, in, uh, in the gospel reading I was reflecting on um, this week, we see that Jesus says in, uh, in Matthew's gospel, he, he calls the 12 apostles to himself, and he says, I will give you authority over all sickness and all illness and all disease, right? That we as Christians, we have authority over every ill that afflicts our world. And so oftentimes I think that because, um, I don't know whether it's media, whether it's, uh, whether it's just intimidation, that we, we forget that we carry the authority of the, of the power of the king of the universe when we come into conversations that might be a little testy in terms of their content and, uh, and the challenge that we face. But we carry the authority of, of the king of heaven. We carry the authority of the one who speaks peace. We carry the authority of the one who carried a cross on his shoulders and suffered every persecution. The one who, who himself was the most unjustly condemned in all of history past and all of, all of history future, right? That, 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 that we carry the authority of the name of Jesus, and it's the name of Jesus that we have, uh, we have any grounds to stand upon. Mm when it comes to having social dialogue, right? So, friends, as we, as we buckle up for today and as we dive into today's messages, let us keep that in mind, that you are not on even ground when you come into conversations in the political arena, but that you stand with the authority of the name of Jesus, that when you understand your authority as a son or a daughter of Christ the King, that when you enter into a conversation that the stakes change. Why? Because we bring access to a supernatural peace that can solve conflict. We bring access to a supernatural health that can bring healing, even to a pandemic, right? If, if we but understood the call that God had placed on our lives and the way that he expects us to respond to it, I think that we would have a more effective response, both naturally and supernaturally, to the trials that we face. I want to I want to jump in before the close, uh, before before we take a break with with this 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 famous scriptural passage. Right, it comes from Mark chapter twelve, verse thirteen. Later, they sent some Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words, and they came to him and said, "Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth." Is it right then to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? I want to jump in here. First of all, uh, the Pharisees and the Herodians, they, 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 they pile on flowery language that they, you know, they don't believe. Um, do you believe that the, that the Pharisees and the Herodians, in fact, would suggest that Jesus teaches the way of God in accordance with the truth? Well, no. They start out their conversation with an agenda. And there's no agendas in today's culture. <laughs> we have just pure-hearted everywhere. They, they've, they've got a, they've got a point to prove from the start, and, and in fact, you know, it, it the verse 13 even tells us that some of the Pharisees and Herodians tried to catch him in his words. Right? If if we begin the conversation, friends, as as Christians or as political activists, as advocates. If we begin the conversation with an agenda in mind, intending to catch someone in their words, it's going to be a mess. I think okay? that's, a, that's a great word just to reflect. Actually, the other day, I was uh, just last night, I was praying. I was uh, just the 
the thought of the power of the gospel came to me, and I was like, you know what? Like, we don't want a democratic agenda. We don't want a Republican agenda. We have the gospel. <laughs> like, yeah. we don't need we don't need the agenda that someone else gives to us because we've already been given the agenda by the Lord. Right? I have the gospel, and it it lays out the agenda for the kingdom of God, and Amen. that's what I bring. Right? I don't. We don't want to come to a conversation hoping to catch someone or hoping to to win an argument, but to advance the kingdom forward yeah. effectively. Yeah. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asks. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. So they brought him a coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they reply. Then Jesus says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. Okay. Why would the Pharisees and the Herodians be amazed? Well, it's because Jesus avoided their trap. (laughs) All right. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to to God what is God's. How is this often misinterpreted? I think this is misinterpreted as the Christian version of the separation of church and state, right? That Jesus is clearly giving us a directive here to just do the stately things, to do the um, the honorable things, to do the politically correct things, because that's the way the world works. But when you spend your hour in church on Sunday, it's then that we should enter into an authentic relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Is, does that sound like the Jesus that we worship? <laughs> yeah, just you know, just give me the one hour and I'm happy. Make me an accessory to your life and that's all good. I think not. No, not at all. So, uh, here, friends, I, I want to invite us to think about this passage in a new way before we jump into our break and, and, and we'll come back. This is going to be a show that is chock full of moments for renewal of your way of thinking when it comes to political conversation, okay? Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, okay? We like to we, we like to package this verse up by realizing that Jesus is describing something right, really neat and, and well-packaged and concrete and specific, right? What is Caesar's? Well, it's that coin that they're holding in their hand. Okay, that makes sense. We're going to give back to Caesar what bears his inscription. But I think oftentimes that's where we stop the conversation. What does Jesus mean, in fact, when he asks us, when he directs us to give back to God what is God's? There's no other coin that the person's holding. What's Jesus referring to here? Well, friends, Jesus is referring to the the one, the item, the object, the individual, the person who is made in the image and likeness of God. If we can say confidently that we're giving back to God what is God's, i.e. ourselves, our whole being, our whole person, our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole life, our whole body, then we are truly never going to struggle with holding on to what is Caesar's. The trouble here that Jesus is trying to identify for us, I believe, is that we've equated with ourselves and our value and our worth what it is that we possess, okay? We've equated with ourselves and with our identity what it is that we've been described as, what it is that we, uh, I don't know, our our social standing, our riches, our belongings, um, what it is that we've earned, right? Our status, our 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 ego, 
And what Jesus says is, no, if we give to God what is God's, then what is Caesar's is going to work itself out. If you are an effective citizen of heaven, friends, then you're going to be an awesome citizen of this country. You're going to be an awesome citizen of this world. So let that be our charge this morning. Well, wherever you're, whenever you're listening to this. <laughs> that's, that's great, Aaron. Thank you. I, I just love that because I think the um, you said that Jesus, people were amazed because Jesus didn't fall into the trap, right? Yeah. And yeah. I do think there are so many traps being led, uh, laid out for us. Yeah. And I think a lot of times we as Catholics, we, we feel like, oh man, I don't want to get caught in the trap. So I'm just going to kind of coil back and like hide in the shell and kind of protect myself. Yeah. Or we know we're getting caught in trap. And so we're like, oh, I'm so frustrated that they're trying to trap me. And we unleash ourselves in maybe an inappropriate way. Yeah. And we go after the person and we attack the person yep. as opposed to um, looking at how Jesus responds here. Yep. Just that he's like, I just want you to give all of yourself to me and be transformed by me. And then I'm going to give you the solutions that are needed in a moment of crisis. Amen. So, friends, uh, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to be diving into what is uh, our core response to the challenges that we face in today's world. I hope that you're excited. I'm excited for today's show, more excited than I anticipated being, in fact. And, oh, yeah. Um, it's it's, it's going to be exciting. The uh, we, We're recording here in the midst of, of Catholic Youth Summer Camp, and uh, I, I want to start the show when we come back with just a little reflection on, on how we're seeing kids' lives truly being affected by the social issues that are being experienced in today's world. So once again, thanks for joining us for Beyond Damascus. We will be right back after the break. EWTN, teaching the truth. You have just a beautiful compassion and an affirmation of every caller. You zone right in to each person's need, and then you ask all of us to pray for that person, and I do. I just think you really, really have a great ministry. You just really are tonic and concentrated multiple vitamins for all of us spiritually. (laughs) (laughs) EWTN. Live truth. Live Catholic. Prayer can take on many different forms. It could be a simple gaze up to the heavens, glorifying God for the beauty of His creation. It could be a cry for help in time of need. It could be a request for some good that you think you need in your life. All these things can be spontaneous and informal. But prayer can also be formal, as in the Our Father, which Jesus taught us to pray, and the highest formal prayer, the sacrifice of the Mass. Welcome back to Beyond Damascus, the show where Encounter Meets Mission. Thank you for joining us today, and this is going to be a really exciting show. Beyond Damascus is a co-production of St. Gabriel Radio and EWTN Radio, carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. And friends, today we're discussing how it is that we as Christians, as Catholics, need to engage in the dialogue that is offered in regard to social issues in our experience of the world. We're not going to be offering necessarily opinions or perspectives on, uh, I don't know, the, the rightness or wrongness of particular social perspectives, but rather how we are called to engage in effective dialogue and what are the resources that we need to draw upon as Christians? What, is, what are the riches that we have available to us? 
So thanks again for joining us. I hope that, that even the start of the show has been um, encouraging and inspiring to you. If you missed the start of the show, catch it on our podcast after, the, after today's show. Uh, this is, this is, it's, it's been exciting already, and we're going to continue to build on the momentum here in the second segment as we jump into, at least we're going to shoot for six pastoral themes that can guide our understanding and communication and engagement with social dialogue through this process. For the first one, I, I just want to jump in. So I mentioned before the break that, that we are in the midst of Catholic Youth Summer Camp this year. And it has been a roller coaster ride this spring, as I'm sure you can imagine if you're listening to this anytime in the midst of 2020, that, um, you know, around about March, um, everything in the United States of America shut down, including all of the ministries that we had been engaged in and actively serving the young people of the Catholic Church in and around the Columbus Diocese in the in the central Ohio area. And uh, that was that was a big challenge for us and for our team and for the young people that we served. And as we were trying to innovate and come up with different ideas and concepts on how it is that we bring our message to the airwaves and jump online in our live programming with Beyond Damascus and Damascus Live and a number of the videos and shows and series that we started producing, uh, you know, we're doing the best we can to effectively serve this population. Thanks be to God. Uh, in Ohio, at least, we had a really effective response to the pandemic um, that has still proven to be effective as, as we push into the summer. And as of May 1st, uh, as of June 1st, to our surprise, uh, we were permitted to open residential camp. So we shifted all of our digital concepts and programming back to residential camp, and we're operating right now at about 60% capacity here at Catholic Youth Summer Camp with the intent on effectively providing a safe environment for all of our campers in accordance with state policy. Maybe you can tell that I've said that a couple times. <laughs> um, one of the things that we're coming uh, to understand that was, I don't know, we should have anticipated, but it was a, it was a surprise to us, uh, is the tremendous impact that this season of isolation and conflict has had on the hearts of our middle school and high school students as they come here to spend a week with us. You know, our, our, first, our first pastoral theme for today's show is that our policies impact people, right? Our policies impact people, and, and certainly there is a way of understanding that on a general or rather on a specific level, right, that when we create uh, social equality um, policies that help to advocate for the poor, that the poor are affected. Um, I want to suggest that even the people who we may think are unaffected, yourself, your kids, you know, the, the students who or the, the, the young people who, who are present in your parish, or who are present in your kids' school, the ones who you might think are isolated from this experience or who guarded from it or who don't experience it on a daily level, you know, the kids who are growing up in the midst of suburbia, they're affected. And what we've seen this, this, this summer is that as kids are sharing their testimony of encounter with Jesus, they have received and are in need of tremendous emotional and spiritual healing from the impact of what a spring of isolation and 
social media driven conflict has wrecked havoc on their hearts. Uh, I, I just can't state that enough. It's, it's something that maybe we don't see when we're sitting around the dinner table at home. But what we've experienced this summer is that as kids have an opportunity to gather together and to process together as friends in a safe environment of encounter with the person of Jesus, that the stuff is coming to head, that the stuff is becoming apparent. Yeah, you, you almost think about what our young people are growing up in and, and what you, our listeners, and we are growing, I mean, are Amen. experiencing yeah. right now, that this is, we're experiencing a a social civil war. The, the division and the discourse and the the divide in our country right now is so broken that, I mean, imagine what it would have been like to grow up in, in a wartime, yeah. and that's what our children are experiencing, and we're seeing that in their hearts, that they see this civil war. It's not a war fought in a different country, right? It's a war fought on Facebook. It's a war fought on Instagram. It's a yep. war fought on Twitter, and so they're seeing the battlefield. And, and they're internalizing everything. Everything. They're, they're witnessing it, and so because of that, they're coming with hearts and minds that are hurting and broken and confused and hungry for the truth. I've been telling people that after uh, 20 years of running camp ministry this year, the camper testimonies are the most profound and deep that I've ever heard. That the impact Jesus Christ is having on young people's lives this summer is the most significant impact I think I've ever seen. That young people are speaking about the Lord and, and what he's done in their life, and they just begin to weep because they're falling in love with a God who love is love himself, and they're discovering love himself, or they're, they're realizing their, the missionary mandate and the call to evangelize, and they, they begin to weep over this need to share the gospel because they see just how badly the, the world needs the gospel. And, yeah. But at the same time, because their hearts have been quieted, because their hearts have seen this social civil war about their uh, and have seen the battlefield, all of a sudden their hearts are primed for the sowing of the seed of the word of God. Amen. And that seed is is uh, is just it is the seed that needs planted in a heart that is fertile is the word of God. It's not the opinion of another person, yeah. right? So, pastoral theme number one that our our policy and that our discourse impacts people. People are your kids. People are yourself. Um, what do we do about it? I would encourage you not to believe that anybody can um, walk through this process unimpacted, right? Now more than ever, you and your kids and your families and your friends, you need time for prayer. You need time for encounter with Jesus. Um, Going to Mass right now is possible and very inconvenient. You need to prioritize engagement in the sacraments, engagement in times of prayer. Why? Because you need it. Because you are being impacted and affected. They are being impacted and affected by the negativity and the division that they're experiencing every day. It's becoming part of their heart. And in order to be transformed, we need to expose ourselves to to purity. Yeah. And when you're having those conversations and that discourse, because it impacts people, how are you dis- – like what's the discourse look like, right? Yeah. I know that's something I always have to check myself with. How do I have conversations with my wife around our children with regard to uh, different opinions I have and different structures because they pick it all up, right? So it, our policies, our discourse, it impacts people, right? Secondly, we want to give more pastoral guidelines on how to engage the social strata today. Secondly, we want to encourage you to frame the discussion, right? Mm. That whenever the discussion's happening, make sure you don't just uh, throw out 
conversation talking points, but always take a step back and frame the discussion by knowing Catholic social principles. I love our Catholic social teaching because it actually, it's principle-based, right? So a lot of times the Catholic social teaching is not meant to give extreme black and white answers to every social problem or every social decision uh, in the country. A lot of times, two different people can have two different opinions on a social principle, I mean a social solution, and actually still be faithful Catholics, right? And so often we think that we we have to have a black and white, very direct answer to every Mm. problem. But John Paul II, in his letter on social concern, he said that uh, the church's role often has no technical solution when talking about social principles. Explain that. Yeah, so the church is not trying to say, okay, this is exactly how a welfare situation should look in every single country around the world, right? Instead, the church is going to lay out principles that would allow Christians to engage in healthy dialogue to determine how best to meet the need, the needs of the poor and the suffering in their local area. Why does right? Jesus have to be so obscure? <laughs> and so you, they just tell me what to do? It would be very easy for us to say, okay, this is the way everything should look all the time in every place, right? And that's kind of our natural inclination, but we don't want to have these technical solutions all the time in, in church teaching as opposed to let's frame the discussion. Let's have a conversation about principles that matter so that we can find the technical solution, the honors. So what are some of the principles, right? One of the guiding principles that we know and love is the dignity of every human person. And that guiding principle should guide every conversation we have in every political situation, right? Where's that one come from, Dan? What what do you mean by that question? (laughs) Well, remember, friends. You are created in the image and likeness of God. Exactly. Right? That means you, who's, who's you? You is all human persons, right? So uh, oftentimes it, it can help us to remind ourselves of that reality, that uh, when, when we read Genesis chapter 1 and, um, and following and we feel good about ourselves, that we should maybe read that not only from the perspective of me, but of the one that I'm in conflict with. Right? Yeah. No, I think that's – and it's the, the dignity of human person, of course, shapes every conversation we have. And we have to look at every situation, not from a, a political framework um, or platform, but from a perspective of how is each individual person impacted and affected by the policies that are being made and how do we uphold and uplift the dignity of every person um, while we – create policies that impact people, right? Policies impact people. And so we need to know that the dignity of the human person is central to all of our policies. Um, The dignity of marriage and family and community, right? That that's one of the guiding principles uh, that we have, uh, that we have to see and safeguard and protect marriage and family. Why? Because as the church teaches, the family is the vital cell of human civilization, a community is really a family of families. A nation is a family of families. John Paul II said, as the family goes, so goes the nation, and so goes the whole world. So if the family falls apart, and if our policies and our um, 
our decision-making doesn't help upbuild the family, if the family falls apart, the nation will fall apart, right? The, the, if, if the family falls apart across the world, the, the world will fall apart. So we have to uphold, upbuild, uplift the family, right? I love the principle of subsidiarity, that it's a principle, and this is a principle that often gets ignored or forgotten in conversations. So the principle is that maybe the federal government or the the highest uh, entity is not always the one who is able to make the best decisions. So if you're to define subsidiarity, right, it's the principle governing the help or the subsidium that given by the higher entity to the lower entity. Basically, it's the principle that affirms that the local level of government or the smallest level of people are able, should be given preferential option um, over the higher level so when it comes to decision making, so what's that mean, right? It's it's like the um, it, it's always very frustrating when we enter into a situation and it feels bureaucratic. What is bureaucratic? Like, what do we get to when we say that phrase? It means that there's some higher entity that's making decisions that don't that doesn't really truly understand the way it impacts the lower entity, right? And I think sometimes we make we maybe, assume maybe maybe not higher and lower, maybe bigger and smaller. Yeah, exactly. Uh, more distant and more local. Exactly, and it's that that we can all of a sudden. And so, what's the lowest? entity in a civilization, right? Or in a society, it's the family. So a lot, once again, that goes, why do we protect the dignity and the freedom of the family? Because that's the lower entity. It's the uh, smaller, ent- the smallest vital entity. But then we also, you could see this, how this pans out in a situation like coronavirus, right? Where we look to the government, the federal government for uh, all the solutions or expect everything to come out there when the reality of a nation is that a New York City is very different than a uh, city in South Dakota, right? That there's different cities in different places and a pandemic impacts a place like New York City differently than a place in uh, South Dakota. And that the person in South Dakota and the local government there in theory, loves the people locally more than a federal, like a, the higher entity could, right? That that I'm always going to love the individual most. I'm always going to be able to promote the dignity of the human person most yeah. when I see. And I, I love this, just this concept of like, you know, the church is the solution to so many problems in yep. the sense of like, when I see my neighbor hungry, I will feed my neighbor. When I see someone suffering, someone that I love, that I care about, suffering, I will help them. But I sometimes it's hard for me to have as much compassion, a Christian compassion, when I don't see the person, when they're they're all far off and distant. And so subsidiarity often says the local uh, people, the local society should help and bless and serve their local needs most effectively. Why? Yeah. Because that's where the virtue of charity is going to be the best, yeah. right? When a higher entity that's disconnected and unengaged, often it becomes a process that may help people, yeah. but it doesn't provide charity. Yeah. Uh, it's just a, a machine, a so cog. What, so what you're saying is that the, uh, the, the theory of the principle of subsidiarity isn't just another word for Republican agenda? No, not at all. <laughs> that it's, it's actually understanding that, you know, you could probably say that there are certain, um, uh, there are certain parties or certain politicians that embrace the principle of subsidiarity sure. more effectively, right? And so there are certain uh, ways in which sub- – and that's part of the beauty of the United States was that it was set up 
that the state authority, the state level had. So our country was established on the principle of subsidiarity, that the federal government was limited. Why? Because the founders understood the value of a local entity guiding and directing and making decisions for its own people. Yeah. One of the one of the interesting I'll, I'll I'll try to give some counterpoint throughout this process um, from from maybe what is our popular experience from the listeners of the show. One of the cool uh, things that has been interesting to see is um, certainly in the midst of the Black Lives Matter movement, in the midst of a, a social equality agenda, um, which is you know at its core. Uh, equality and justice and representation and treatment of individuals needs to be the priority of every Christian. Um, one of the interesting things to see is that while, uh, you know, w- what is popularized and what is um, sensationalized on the news is is the violent protests, you also see individuals in small towns who have, you know, a very, very small minority population, and you see people who are engaging in peaceful protest even in those areas where there's one or two, you know, old ladies sitting on the street corner holding a sign advocating for for social justice and reform. Um, and I, I don't know. I see that as sort of a, a, a demonstration of what you're indicating, Dan, that we can't just depend on, you know, uh, on a on a big name or a loud voice to advocate for justice, but if I actually believe in justice in my community, then I've got to be ready to stand up and and advocate for my neighbor for the yeah. for the person who lives next to me. Well, that's one of my favorite principles too. It's the principle of participation, right? Ooh. That we actually the the church says that we. Uh, we as a citizen, whether directly or through representation, we have the right to contribute to the cultural, economic, political, social life of a civil community. And not just the right, but also a responsibility that yeah. we are, we have a responsibility to participate in the political um, process. And it may be that some of us as Catholics are like, I just want to avoid all of this. It's just loud. It's obnoxious. It's, it's frustrating. It's a social civil war. I don't want to be on the battlefield. Well, Really, the church says uh, through participation, you're called to be on the battlefield. You're called to engage. That doesn't mean you're called to make Facebook posts, right? Yeah. But in some way, shape, or form, you are called to engage in this discussion. You're called to engage in the social uh, and, and political sphere so that people um, – are able that, so that you can bring about the kingdom of God. But the key is that when we participate, we should be informed, right? That our conscience must be informed by the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the church, yeah. um, and it should not be opposed to it. And so the call for the Christian to participate is not simply a call to get out there and throw out your opinions. It's a call to actually frame the discussion on the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the church, and the church herself focuses on issues, not partisan activity. So this, like, we are striving as individuals to say, okay, what are the principles that the church has taught us on how to guide social uh, and economic situations? What are the principles that Jesus has taught us in the scripture? And how do we have discussions on those? I think of other principles, like uh, the principle of the common good, that, like, we want to it's the sum total of the social conditions which allow people to, to flourish, right, to reach their fulfillment easier and happier. That when I engage in the political promise, I mean process, it's not to fulfill my individual good. It's to fulfill the common good. And so – and often – uh, the church would say that the individual good is most easily fulfilled when the common good <laughs> is fulfilled, right? Yeah. Why? Because policies impact 
people. And so if we have bad policies, it has a negative impact on people. If we have good policies that promote the common good, it has a good impact on people. Including us people. And one of my favorite policies is the the policy of uh, solidarity, right? And this is, I think, at the heart of – it allows us to maintain a Christian heart of compassion uh, when entering into conversations. It's this principle uh, most easily said that it's a principle that everyone – in society, we're part of the the, the family of God, right? Yeah. It's, it's a the principle of kinship or family that every person is my brother or my sister. That when George Floyd died and was murdered, he was my brother, right? But the officer who murdered George Floyd was also my brother. And so nice. when I think about that? when I think about that situation, I step back and I say, "Wow." Both of these people are part of my family, and I, my heart hurts and is broken for both individuals, right? Yeah. And um, likewise, the, the cop that is being spit at on the streets during a protest is my, my brother or my sister, but the person who is protesting and or rioting is also my sister and my brother. And so uh, I think what this principle does is it allows me to really honestly, truly care about the dignity of every human person and speak about every person with dignity, right? Because if my sister is out rioting, I'm gonna I'm gonna at least safeguard my sister's dignity when I speak about her, right? And yep. if my uh and so no matter what, it allows me to enter into a conversation with a heart of compassion mm. and mercy and dignity. That's um, such a good reflection. Yeah, and and that needs to define our response, right? That needs to define the way that we engage in this process. Um, and I, 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 as I reflect on that, Dan, I'm I'm thinking to myself, you know, this. As much as I would like to, as an individual, see myself as someone who has achieved enlightenment, right? I think this is one that I probably need to remind myself of every day, right? that I need to remind myself of this every time I open up social media, every time I turn on the news to, to just reemphasize and reengage in the reality that this is my brother, this is my sister, this is my brother, this is my sister, no matter how annoying or heinous or justified an individual's behavior seems to look. Yeah. Yeah, and I think when we understand that conversations are meant to be framed by principles, we're able to have healthy dialogue, right? That it's a great example, right? That uh, coronavirus um, response had, in effect, two contrary principles that needed to be discussed. The church has the prince, the the preferential option for the poor and vulnerable. So the preferential option for the poor and vulnerable means that the elderly who are vulnerable to illness should be treated with pre- preferential care. And so there's a principle that we, we're trying to uphold there, right? But then the church also has the principle of the rights of workers and the small business owners and workers that they should have a limited influence on how they can flourish and make an income for their families. So you have two opposing principles at, uh, in, in a situation where now the beauty is I'm not going to just spit off what this politician is saying or spit off what this politician is saying. I'm going to sit down and enter into discourse about mm. how do we engage in these two different principles and reach the technical solution, right? The church has no technical solution. So now we have two principles that guide us so that we can re- reach a technical solution that upholds the dignity of every person. So 
To summarize, we want to frame the discussion with the principles, which often means we have to take a step back and we have to learn the principles. And if you don't know the social principles, but you know the the, uh, partisan platforms better. Rewind and listen to the show again. (laughs) I would suggest that you dive into good reading and discussion on principles and learn the social principles that will help frame your own platform. Where can you find good reading? Yeah, so that takes us to the third pastoral principle we want to give today, know your resources. So we always want to go to the source documents and not necessarily the opinions of others. So I I love sharing a good article on Facebook, right? But a lot of times when we share things, we're sharing things without source documents. And so we don't want to necessarily take everything at face value and simply take the opinions of others. We always want to go to the source documents. So what are our source documents as Catholics? We're, we've got a loaded amount of source documents with all of the different social encyclicals, the social documents, right? And not, what's eight, your what's your favorite? My favorite. So, um, I wow, that's that's a big one. Uh, one of my favorite social uh, encyclicals is the Gospel on the Gospel of Life by John Paul II, written in 1995. It's incredible. Fides et Ratio from John Paul II, also really good. Uh, Caritatis in Veritate. Love and Truth by Pope Benedict, really good. But if, you, if you're not aware, the church has an insane amount of social encyclicals from the Pope. So in 1891, Rerum Novorum came out. It was one of the first social encyclicals by Leo XIII, and it was on the, the condition of labor, right? How do we treat the rights of workers? And from there, we had all kinds of amazing thought process from John the 23rd, Paul the 6th, John Paul the 2nd, Benedict, Francis. And guess what, Aaron? What, Dan? Not every pope agrees on technical solutions. Maybe right? that's because the church's job isn't to provide technical <laughs> solutions. So if you read the social encyclicals of John the 23rd, he promoted <laughs> more a, a, a more liberal understanding of a welfare state, right? Whereas John the uh, Paul the 2nd really goes uh, almost against that and promotes a, promotes a more limited. Why? Because the social conditions of John the 23rd were very different than the social conditions that John Paul II was raised in, right? Yep. He saw the impacts of communism on Poland. He saw the impacts of communism on Russia, right, and, and on the global family. And so his thoughts and opinions were shaped by the present moment, whereas John the 23rds were shaped by the present moment yep. and the social conditions of poverty that were in the world during his pontificate, right? So we, we, we understand that the social principles can help guide us in every generation so as good. social conditions so change, yeah. right? And, and when, you, when you try to, you know, one of my, one of my um, I don't know, pet peeves is that when you try to go back and, and read history through a lens that, is, that wasn't present, that was, that was different through history, you end, up, you end up having an unfair argument, right? Uh, let's, go, let's go to the, more, the most base and simple example. In Scripture, you see St. Paul who's speaking to slaves. It seems that St. Paul, in fact, is justifying slavery. Is he? No. He's just speaking about a practical solution to a common experience in the day. You know, in today's world, there would be no justification for what, in fact, St. Paul seems to tolerate in the writing of Scripture or even Jesus, right? The, 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 the practical application is different in every generation. So uh, I don't know. Uh, it's it's a good invitation for us um, not to spend too much energy looking back and saying you know how 
how the golden generation was was racist and homophobic and like all of this stuff that we 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 tend to lay judgment upon yeah but but to see that the principles when rightly applied um they change why because we change well and it it also really encourages us as catholics not to get frustrated at a pope when maybe their dialogue is different than a different pope right so it, there's no need for us to be frustrated and say that like Francis is making like is terrible because of X, Y, and Z, right? His, the way he is engaging political discourse or social discourse uh, on social topics is different than how Pope Benedict or John Paul II. Why? Because Pope Benedict was a German and he grew up in like Germany. And so he speaks like a German theologian. Francis is an Argentinian and he speaks like an Argentinian theologian. And so the way that the South America engages in these conversations is a is different than the way yeah. Ger- Germany would engage in these conversations yeah. right does this mean that that uh, i guess I, I should i should offer maybe some clarity there are certainly uh, of my last statement there are certainly uh justice principles that are true for all time and we can't use uh use societal or cultural context as an excuse for in fact engaging in social behavior that is inauthentic or unjust or um, doesn't preserve the dignity of individuals. Yeah. But we've got to realize that our job is not to criticize the past. Our job is to is to act upon the present in such a way that we can create a society that's safe and that's the best application where we have the ability to, to impact. Amen. I want to just give a quick testimony on that. So uh, on this principle of going to source documents, right? One, one time I'm on Facebook and Someone had an opinion about whether or not Trump should deport these uh, particular President group. Trump. Yes, <laughs> and uh, and so so they quote John Paul II, and they quote that uh, deportation is an intrinsic evil, right? That it's always and everywhere immoral, like uh, immoral. And I, I think to myself, I'm like, wait, that doesn't that doesn't line up with the social principles I know. So I go back to the source document and I look and. The context in which John Paul II was speaking of was the deportation of mass groups of people in uh, in Nazi Germany. So he, he was actually speaking of a very different kind of deportation than what the particular applied social condition that Trump was applying, right? So I engage in conversation with this person. I say, listen, in the source document, JP2 means something different than what you quoted here, and you're using John Paul II's teaching as an as a way to back up your opinion and your agenda as opposed to having a healthy dialogue. And it's actually possible in that situation to have a, a healthy dialogue as Catholics where we may come to two different conclusions, that as a faithful Catholic, I could agree with President Trump's decision to deport someone who has criminal activity, and you could disagree with President Trump's decision. But the, the beauty is that there there is no black or white answer to that particular situation that we can have a healthy conversation and come to different conclusions, which I think is beautiful that love can determine that, right? If you're really interested in the social principles, I want to encourage the Compendium of Social Doctrine um, is is a, a, a good read um, as well. So we have two more principles we're going to close with. Is I, that cool? I, friends, I told you we were going to do six today, and I don't think uh, we're going to we're going to try. But we're, <laughs> we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're on time. We're going to take a quick break first, and we'll be right back. And in three minutes, we're going to try to wrap this thing up. Thank you for joining us today on Beyond Damascus, where encounter meets mission. 
The Wisdom of Mother Angelica. Now, when Jesus was on earth, he taught us a great lesson. He taught us that he came for the sinner, not the virtuous. He came for you because you are imperfect. Because sin comes easy to you, and sometimes you don't have the willpower to say no. EWTN. Live Truth. Live Catholic. The World Over with Raymond Arroyo. Coverage as seen through a Catholic lens. All people of faith and sincerity need to awaken to this and protect this fundamental right of religious liberty. Expert analysis. Does revelation judge history or does history judge revelation? Stories vital to people of faith. It's part of our faith that comedy and tragedy naturally go hand in hand. Delivered to your inbox every week. Sign up today. Go to EWTN.com slash world over. Welcome back to Beyond Damascus, co-production of St. Gabriel Radio and EWTN Radio. Thanks for joining us. We're going to try to wrap up this show real quick. Yeah, Aaron, we had way too many principles to cover <laughs> in this show. We're having fun. The last three are don't pick sides immediately, objective truth versus pastoral advocacy, and seek to understand the other person's perspective. So to summarize those real fast, right, don't pick sides immediately, that you want to know all the information before you jump on a bandwagon, Uh, that a lot of times in our culture it's two sides spitting at each other before all the facts or the information's out, before the whole agenda of a movement is out. Learn, investigate, weigh against the principles, and then have a conversation. Then this idea of objective truth versus pastoral advocacy, that there are certain objective truths that we have to defend against. Abortion is everywhere and always immoral, right? Same-sex marriage is everywhere and always immoral, and we have to fight against and uphold the church's teaching on that. But at the same time, it needs to be balanced with pastoral advocacy for those who are suffering. Yes. I can't fight for uh, against abortion if I don't also fight for women who are stuck in a situation where their family has rejected them Amen. because they're pregnant. Yep. So I have to fight on both sides and promote both sides for a healthy discourse because we love truth as Catholics, but we also love people. And that kind of wraps right into our final principle too, which is to seek to understand the other person's perspective. Yeah. Oftentimes when a question is asked or when a, when, a, when a statement is made, a statement of beliefs is made, it comes from a place of deep personal connection, right? That, that I'm speaking from my experience. I'm speaking from my woundedness. I'm speaking from justice. I'm speaking from my family of origin. And the more we can get to know and love individuals like Jesus showed us by example, the better we can effectively engage in dialogue and the more effective we're going to be at actually approaching solutions. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show, friends. To catch up on this show and maybe to even see a preview of uh, of a show in the future that we might spend a little more time on those last three principles, join us at our podcast, wherever podcasts are found. Thank you for joining us here. Once again, Beyond Damascus is a co-production of St. Gabriel Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. And we are so blessed to be able to share this time with you. We pray that God will bless your family, will heal any wounds that have been brought about by the danger of and the challenge of this kind of dialogue or experience. And we pray that you'll join us again next time. God bless you all.